0: Hey, everyone. Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Some quick pre-show announcements. We have a shout-out. Of course, we've got a shout-out. A special announcement. And finally, what is happening on today's episode. So our shout-out comes from YouTube on episode 85. Our cat-dog review, Omnishambles, says the following... This show was only good because it was literally better than nothing, but I would have preferred anything else. Oh, boy. It's probably because I had nothing else to do but watch TV, but I remember getting really tired of this show because it was on all the time. I remember the cast was very small and the rabbit and rat showing up all the time everywhere. The plotline were very samesy as well, which I had to Google samesy and realize that it meant repetitive. (laughs) So... Wow. Omni shambles. Seems like you have a bone to pick with cat dog and I get it. It's okay. We do appreciate you letting us know how you feel about cat dog. And thank you for listening. Our very special announcement that we have is a very special collider announcement. We have a big announcement in today's episode. So please give it a listen. We would love your feedback. Nothing is changing for our show. So no worries for any of our longtime listeners. Really, the only thing that is changing is when we release episodes. So, And if you've been a listener for a long time, we should have always been releasing on Saturday. What have we been doing? We have been fucking this up for five years straight. We're fixing that now. So what's on today's episode? Today marks a return to form all the stuff that you love about Saturday morning cartoons over the past five years because Dave Trumbor is back And we are getting into the seedy, gritty underbelly of Gotham City for the DC animated universe movie, Batman Hush. So we have to ask the questions, who is Hush? And does the adaptation of the classic Batman graphic novel win over our Batarang-shaped hearts? All of that and more. And so now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast for all things animation. We are still the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. We are also now including news, reviews, and interviews. Coming to you all the way from Gotham City, I will be your co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, and flying in all the way from Metropolis. Please welcome my co-host, Dave Trombar. Why'd you say that name? <laughs> Why'd I say that for Why'd you say that name? Oh boy, here we go.
1: Oh, you said that name because you're introducing me. Yeah, I'm introducing you. Oh, hey, thanks for having me back, but it's been, it's been one, what, two weeks <laughs> since the last episode? <laughs> but for people who are maybe just listening, it's been quite a while since I've been back. Should we talk about that for a little bit? You went on a cartoon hiatus. I did, a cartoon hiatus. I went to Cartoon World. I went to Metropolis. I kissed a plant lady. It was great. It's very, very erotic. It was very erotic, which is what you want in a kid's movie. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Sean almost did an actual spit take there. Yeah, so I'm back. I'm back, guys. We teased this last week. I'm back. We've got the new and improved, but still kind of the same, samey's, uh, Saturday morning cartoons. So what's new here, bud? What are we talking about? What are we, what are we beating around the poison ivy bush?
0: Well, we, we sort of talked about yeah. uh, the fact that in our last episode, when we did A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, now we are part of the Collider Factory. That's right. And so this is really the the biggest step. There's not really anything that's going to change for the show. The only big thing is, is that now there's going to potentially be a lot more people who are going to be making submissions, recommending cartoons. And so to kind of help with some of that, and because we're going to now have a more frequent podcast posting schedule, we are also going to include some news.
1: Yeah, and definitely, be- before we jump into there, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for all of our continuing listeners who's been with us for almost 250 episodes and a lot of B-sides and a lot of craziness over the last, what, five years. And also, welcome to all new listeners out there on the Collider Factory podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys checking us out. We hope you stick around week to week. Sean will probably be here every other week. I'll be here every week, uh, sometimes just solo, talking about news and reviews of that current week, getting you caught up on all things animation. Sometimes with interviews uh, from people in the industry as well. Another great thing that Collider Factory kind of allows us to do, is we have a platform to bring you talent from the actual industry. Uh, So you may hear some very familiar voices popping up on this podcast very soon. That's enough of a teaser for now. Let's turn to some news.
0: Very, very exciting. Very exciting stuff.
1: Actually, all my interviewers are just going to be Sean doing various voices. So see if you can (laughs) guess uh, who who he's trying to (laughs) perform as every single week.
0: Is that H. John Benjamin?
1: No, it's Sean doing a terrible impression. But if you could sound like H. John Benjamin for like a discount, that would be great. Yeah. Budget John Benjamin. H. John Budget Man. God.
0: Man. (laughs) Well, guess what? (laughs) Turns out last week, Comic-Con, a lot of news that was coming out of this. Yeah. Dave is going to help us understand and kind of go through some of the main headlines that you may have missed.
1: Yeah, there's a lot <clears throat> from Comic-Con, a lot of obviously comics-related stuff, but also kind of everything else in the world of entertainment as well. But first, before we get into kind of the lighter side of the news from Comic-Con, we did want to take a moment and mention the uh, the tragedy, the presumed arson that was in um, Japan at Kyoto Animation. You guys may have heard of that. This is probably a week or more by the time uh, we're talking about it here. But there is a uh, GoFundMe set up through Sentai Filmworks, who they, they're a, uh, a local American sort of distribution company and they've worked with anime studios all over the world, so they're part of the industry, they know these guys. They set up a GoFundMe campaign for uh, fans of anime all over the world to help the victims of this tragedy. So you can head over to Collider and uh, just type in you know, Kyoto Animation or we'll have the links up in our show notes as well if you want to contribute to that cause. Um, the, the story I think is still kind of unfolding, we don't know everything yet, but what we do know is that people will need help and they will need funds. So, um, yeah, that's just a great thing to do to be able to help out in some small way. So we want to make a mention of that. If you can help, wonderful. If you can't,
0: please consider at least sharing it so that it gets the word out there so that if people can contribute, they can definitely raise awareness and and possibly contribute in the future. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. Well said. And now to the fun stuff. So there was a lot of really cool stuff out of Comic-Con this week. Uh, We're just going to hit these kind of highlights so that you guys, if you want to know more about it, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it. So... Here we go. DuckTales, the Disney Channel reboot that just popped up not that long ago, but has been fantastic and will be returning this September with new episodes in season two. They're welcoming a ton of characters. Now, if you're a 90s kid out there or just like if you're younger than that, but are super nostalgic for like 90s Disney Channel, you're going to recognize names like Darkwing Duck, Rescue Rangers, obviously classics like uh, Daisy Duck and Goofy also coming to the show. So we don't have a whole lot of details on it yet. There's a fantastic poster that has, I don't know, 50 Disney afternoon characters that are in there. You know, Monterey Jack, uh, Kit, Cloud Kicker, but he's kind of sort of grown up, but he's still kicking clouds. So I don't know what's up with that. How excited are you to see a new and improved and expanded DuckTales universe? I
0: can't wait. I'm I'm very excited. I know a lot of friends have been excited as well. Yep. In fact, when this news came out at Comic-Con, uh, a very good friend of mine, she messaged me immediately saying i can't believe that we're finally going to get an updated gadget and then she sent me a photo of her at disney world with an actual like autograph book okay getting gadgets autograph who was a co- who is a costume character that's sometimes at disney but obviously in the 90s when the show was on and yeah. it was way more uh influential it was a picture of her getting gadgets autograph it was like that perfect piece of nostalgia to see that photograph, so I, I couldn't be more excited, and I know a lot of people are too.
1: Absolutely, and we have throughout our our history of our podcast here. We have Rescue Rangers, correct? We definitely have Tailspin because I remember doing a terrible rendition of the theme song. Uh, Absolutely, we you did. You guys probably want to skip over that part of that episode, and uh, we definitely have Darkwing Duck too. So uh, you can scroll back through our previous episodes and check out all of those if you're not familiar with them at all. But you will be soon because they'll be coming to Ducktales. Let's keep it kind of in a. About that age range, we'll get a little bit older here. Um, we had two, a pair of trailers come out for a couple of different things that are like very high-profile things. So one is Season 3 of Netflix and DreamWorks, Shira and the Princesses of Power. Season 3 is going to be dropping on Netflix August 2nd, so it uh, should be this coming Friday by the time you guys are hearing about that. Trailer looked great. I mean, it still has the fantastic kind of like super colorful fantasy world that the previous seasons have shown us. I'm hoping we get a few more episodes to kind of explore more of the story. The, my only shortcoming with season two was that it was too few episodes. Other than that, it was fantastic. We introduce a new character who you guys may know from the original uh, she cartoon. I'm very curious to see what they kind of do with that. Uh, are you a She-Ra fan? You've been watching She-Ra?
0: Of course. And we have had an opportunity last July. We talked about the original She-Ra. Right. We have since then, we've talked about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I mean, I'm just... I'm been so happy with the show and i think it's been so fantastic that uh season three as you mentioned i'm just hoping for a couple more episodes this seems to kind of be a trend with some netflix animation that we've received that has been excellent castlevania for example yep. first season only had four four episodes and all i wanted was more right and so you know thankfully second season we got not only a lot more action but a couple more episodes as well so it seems to be the trend that are been giving things more episodes sort of the the more popular that they've become but also keeping the seasons themselves because they've been coming out twice a year uh, relatively short so i think maybe like
1: an eight episode season would be perfect for me yeah it's weird this is a little insidery baseball kind of talk but a lot of times we, we've talked about this on the show before when we talk about syndication numbers used to be 65 for cartoons for whatever reason because that was their like production schedule and you needed to right. hit 65 to hit syndication so you can make your money back you invested in the original animation. Well, because of things like Netflix and streaming services, and even at, at one point cable TV, that number kept coming down and down and down. But they kept the same kind of production order, production process in line. So for a while, it was like 26 episodes was a season, and then they cut that in half so that 13 episodes could be a season, and then Netflix cut that in half again so that you can have a six or a seven episode season depending on when it's released. We've seen it with Castlevania was a little bit of a different story, but we've seen it with Voltron. Right. Ultron at one point had like a 72, 75 episode order or whatever it was, but it was released in like eight season chunks of maybe six or maybe 12 or maybe 13. So it's all over the place. We'll see what we get with Shira. I don't have that episode count off the top of my head, but the good news is there will always be more coming until that story has run its course. So that's, that's good. And if we get them more often, I'm fine with that. Keeping in kind of that same age range, we got a trailer for Steven Universe the movie. Steven Universe, the movie. Now, that is going to be a TV movie, so I don't. I, as far as I know, they don't have a theatrical release planned for that. But you get a bit of a time jump. You also get a bit of a neck for Steven. That's been a very important right. thing. Steven finally gets a neck because they figured out how to draw, how to draw his <laughs> neck.
0: I want to say I, I love the fact that they're saying now that they've had a neck, but there's been episodes where Steven has gotten older and younger. Right. We have Stevani who has a neck as well. Right. So. There's been instances of Steven having a neck, but Greg now he doesn't have now a neck. Be, well, but now he's older and yeah, now he has a neck. And that's so good. that's a big deal. And I, I love the idea of the time jump. He has a
1: neck until he gets so overweight that his chin just kind of like covers up his neck like his dad. I don't think his dad has a neck. Uh, I'll have to go back and look at, at Greg, but I don't think he has a neck. But it, it's just great that um, you know, the creators and stuff, they were calling that out. That was like one of the main memes that came out of it. was like <laughs> Steven Universe, the movie, now with a neck. So <laughs> Go check that out. What I really want to focus on, and I can't wait till this comes out, or I get a screener and get to hold it over all of you guys. Um, the fact that the new villain that shows up in this, we don't know much about the villain yet, but they're very kind of cartoonish. Uh, a lot of people have called it like a an evil gem version of Dee Dee from Dexter's Laboratory. I see that as well. But yeah. even more than that, like it looks like an old kind of, uh, and when I say old, I mean like retro classic cartoon. They very much have like the cartoon physics going on. They've essentially got like the big hammer that comes out of nowhere. Uh, They've got the springs and the coily things and flopping back and forth. It's it's a really interesting design and I'm very curious to see how the lore kind of works into that. Right. Cool. That's enough kid stuff. Let's talk about some after dark animation. We've got a pair of uh, somewhat older eh, nothing, you know, nothing you need to like turn the speakers down for. It'll be fine. Adults in the room. First thing we want to talk about Archer. Archer on FXX. It is surprise renewed for season 11, but there are some big changes coming. So, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't been watching Archer for the last, like, four years, he's been in a coma for the last three seasons. He's going to be waking up. I'm not going to tell you when, because there were some reports out there that kind of spoiled when, and uh, that was a bummer, but for season 11, Archer is going to have to come out of the coma and deal with those repercussions. So now he's essentially a former super spy who's been in a coma, has not been exercising, has not been eating, obviously, for three years. So they're actually going to play that up. Uh, Adam Reed, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the other uh, EPs off the top of my head, but Adam Reed's the creator. He was the one that kind of came up with the idea. Like, look, if we're going to get into the end game for Archer, he's going to have to wake up at some point. We 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 could keep doing these genre seasons forever, which have been great. Yeah. But in order to give him some closure and have him actually have some repercussions from these things, he has to wake up. So as far as we know, he's going to wake up, he's going to deal with stuff, and they haven't really released any more details beyond that. Uh, Adam Reed will be back, though, for this season, and probably will be back throughout the run of Archer. Uh, previously, he was reported as maybe stepping away at the end of Season 10, but because they had this new idea and because they got the renewal from FXX, he's going to be back. So that's good Great. good news for Archer fans all around. Uh, And the final thing we want to talk about, just a real quick clip. It's one of the first, I believe the first clip from Rick and Morty season four, season four. So you can check that clip out if you haven't watched it 50 times already. Uh, And it features (laughs) Taika Waititi. Uh, You may not know that from the outset. I wasn't sure. It sounded kind of like Reese Darby, but it was not. It was Taika Waititi. Uh, And you can check out that character. I'm sure there's going to be pages upon pages, fanfic, rule 34s, all kinds of stuff for this new character. So have at it, internet. Enjoy it's going to get weird. It's going to get weird, weird, Morty. Can't uh, wait. That's it. You guys are pretty much caught up on Comic-Con animation news. So if there's anything we missed, again, feel free to head over to Collider.com. Check out that animation tag, and uh, you'll find a lot more stuff. But for the most part, those were the heavy hitters. There were some Marvel animation stuff thrown in there. There were some DC animation stuff thrown in there. Kind of minor compared to some of those stories. So feel free to go check that out. Speaking of DC animation, what are we talking about again? Oh boy, we are talking about the DC
0: animated universe, Batman Hush, Batman the movie. Hush.
1: Yes. This is the first movie we've done on this podcast, is that right?
0: This might be the first animated film that we've done for this show,
1: correct? We've done We've done tons of cartoons, we've done Christmas specials, we've done anti-drug PSAs, we've done North Korean propaganda cartoons, we've done quite a few things. Yeah. First animated never movie. Never a movie. No. We've always and had that, plans
0: to do it, it just never kind of worked out. And that's probably been one of the more requested things is that people yeah. asking us, are we going to review cartoon movies? Guess what? Wish fulfillment coming true tonight.
1: It's tonight. Yes. We're doing it with Batman Hush.
0: Yeah. Yes. And we should add a quick disclaimer that this is not a paid or a sponsored review. Right. But even if it was, we'd bring you our fair and honest critical opinion for Batman Hush. No DC dollars and no Marvel money was spent on us at all. Although, DC Marvel, if you listen to us, give us a call.
1: We will take your money for a fair and critical review. <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't yet, just so you guys know. Uh, before we get into the review ourselves, I feel like people have heard enough of our stupid voices for a few minutes. Maybe they need a break to hear from like an adult who will deliver the synopsis for Batman <laughs> Hush in like deep baritone voice that you just want to listen to forever.
0: Do we have anybody like that lined up? Oh my God, sure. Of course do we. We have longtime listener and friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, who's going to give us a little synopsis of what's in store for Batman Hush. Bobby, take it away.
1: A mysterious villain puppeteering Gotham's most dangerous forces leads the Dark Knight into uncharted waters in Batman Hush, the next entry in the popular series of DC Universe movies. An adaptation of the seminal DC classic tale, Batman Hush centers on a shadowy new villain known only as Hush, who uses Gotham's rogues gallery to destroy Batman's crime-fighting career, as well as Bruce Wayne's personal life, which has already been complicated by a relationship with Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. Man, I could listen to that dude. Read the phone book, honestly. <laughs> and on uh, next week's episode, he will be reading the phone book. So be sure to come back and uh, listen to that. It'll be great. Perfect. It'll be a good time. Uh, let me ask you this: before we get into the actual review tonight, which is going to be a bit of a different structure from how we normally do reviews, a because it's a movie, and b because we're kind of changing things up for this this new and improved morning with a U. Uh, are you familiar with Batman Hush from the comics? I
0: am. I'm very familiar with Batman Hush. Yeah. How familiar? I Tell me I this. have. So I have read and I own a physical copy of the the trade paperback of all the issues for Batman Hush. I got into a Batman graphic novel phase, I want to say about maybe 10 years ago where I think I went out and and any notable Batman detective story that was there, I I picked it up and and just began reading them. I think that this was around the time that the Christopher Nolan trilogy had come out and so Batman had moved away from sort of George Clooney with nipples in a bat suit to right. suddenly, you know, a, a, a grittier, uh, more interesting Batman uh, with some depth. And so I had always been a fan of Batman. I know I'm making fun of George Clooney and and other actors or Val Kilmer who has also played Batman, but I was in the theater watching those Batman films, oh, yeah. paying price to to see them, and and enjoying them. Ultimately, so there's nothing wrong with them. I just. I'm, you know, was always a fan but I just finally probably had the the income to be able to actually buy the graphic novels.
1: And look, we we only punch up here too. So I mean if you're going to take somebody to task, let it be George Clooney. Let, let it be, it be George Comber. Clooney. <laughs> let let it, be- it be you too. God. <laughs> exactly. So uh
0: so yeah, so very into a lot of the like classic graphic novels for for Batman. So and in anticipation of watching this, I also
1: reread it twice. Oh nice. Just pr- Just, just to prepare. And that's pretty substantial too, because for folks out there who don't know, now this was myself included. Um, I had heard about Batman Hush when it was coming out, but much like a lot of things at the time, I just kind of absorbed, uh, all the, all the story points, everything that happened from it, hearing from other people. So, you know, I was around a lot of people who were like still into comics regularly collecting comics and this was came out during our college years. So people who were still getting that, you know, $100 a week bag of shame as they called it to take home and like just read through their comics. So I was getting all the story points and stuff from them. So most of this stuff I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I'd hear that every month or whatever when the new one came out." I'd be like, "Oh, that's an interesting take." So for the longest time, I did not actually have a chance to really experience it for myself because I was hearing the play-by-play as people came out. So, uh these issues came out uh in 2000 at the tail end of 2002 until Pretty much November of 2003 so over the course of almost a year you had uh, 11 books that came out in Batman Hush so it wasn't just like one thing that you could pick up at one time this is back when they still had like you know the episodic releases in comic books and then right, later right. they were put together in a collection right uh this that's one that's when
0: I and that's when I would buy them and that's
1: when you would buy it exactly well I mean it kind of made sense because stuff is expensive <laughs> it was expensive back then and it's even worse now Though you have things like right. comiXology that make it so much easier thank you guys so oh, much oh boy Uh, But this one was, uh, the the story itself was written by Jeff Loeb. And if you guys know Jeff Loeb from uh, TV, he's been a DC guy and he's been a Marvel guy. He's been a TV guy and a comics guy too. Personally, I prefer the comic stories from Mr. Loeb. But, uh, you know, great work for him to be able to work both sides. Uh, Talking about another comics guy who's able to work both DC and Marvel, as well as a couple others scattered in between, Jim Lee. I mean, still holds the record for the most, uh, most sold issue of comics ever. I think it's something like over 8 million copies of X-Men number Jeez. one. Yeah, Jim Lee. And, and Jim Lee's art style is what I see for X-Men. Like in my head, if you talk about Cyclops, if you talk about Magneto, if you talk about Wolverine, for me, I see Jim Lee's version of those characters. And you can, see, you can see those designs, that, that pencil work, in Batman Hush. You can see it, even though he hopped from Marvel to DC for this, you can still see it. Um, at the beginning of, of uh, Batman Hush, there's a great kind of intro from Jeff Loeb, too. And now I'm talking the, the graphic novel, the comics. I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> there is They throw you into this movie. They don't even bother introducing you to it. They just toss you into it. Uh, but <laughs> that, that is kind of your primer, if you guys aren't familiar, of the history of when and how this came out and who was involved. So that's kinda all you get as far as the comic side of things. We're gonna dip into the actual movie itself now. Um actually I I I lied to you right there. I wanna oh, know good. you, buddy. How many of the animated animated uh DC Universe like original movies have you watched? They they've only been releasing them like two two, three times a year for the last like twenty years. So I, I have watched a majority of them. Yeah, me too. I I'd say um, you know,
0: everything from Batman, the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. And then when DCAU started, this was a real pleasure and this was a real joy to see a lot of that same uh universe kind of uh, you know, continued to see a lot of the same art style, even that when they started doing Young Justice, right. you know, some of that same animation style kind of carried over into what we watched tonight. So very much a departure from, as you had mentioned, sort of such an iconic artist as Jim Lee. You know, you're you are kind of getting rid of that animation style and trading it for something that's more in line, I would say, with what we've been watching for for Young Justice. You know, so we we've had a lot of these very very classic graphic novels that have been adapted into the DCAU. Uh you know, we have Batman Under the Red Hood, we have The Killing Joke. Yeah. Uh so I mean, they have pretty I mean, they've done a pretty faithful job of looking for these really iconic titles and bringing them into the DCAU. Maybe it's something that you're really only kind of watching stuff that's within the animated universe for DC Comics. And that's that's great. That's yeah. wonderful. You're watching a lot of great movies and content uh, and, and cartoons. Nothing wrong with that at all. But for some people who have been kind of watching and as well as also reading, you know, it, it kind of goes to that pivotal question, you know, is it a faithful adaptation does it still kind of resonate, you know along with the story that was introduced in the graphics novel? And so right. I think that 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 tends to sort of be the challenge with a lot of these um, You know is, is how faithful is it? To the original source material and so that's definitely a discussion for tonight
1: Yeah, and uh, just looking at these real quick Batman hush is the 35th of the uh, DC Universe animated original movies And they've been going for like I said since 2007 so about 20 years a little bit more that's crazy. I mean, to think how many movies they actually churn out and like you mentioned, how many kind of classic, iconic story collections that they've been able to bring into animated versions. And honestly, I'm going to be honest here, and this may be kind of not controversial at all. Everybody's got a difference of opinions, but I think the animated movies have been more consistent over the years than the live action ones have. And that's going uh. back to the 80s. I mean, the, the, look at the live action versions of DC Comics properties. They're all over the place. In terms of quality, in terms of how they're reviewed critically, in terms of the stories that they cover. I mean, the animated stuff covers quite a few more stories, and they have they have a lot more kind of leeway to be able to explore those things. I love the fact that we got an Elseworlds movie with, um, it was a Gotham by Gaslight? Yeah. You know, that, that gave them a chance to explore a very different kind of Batman, a very different kind of world, a different look, a different animation style. We've now got sort of the, the James Tucker-verse, where the producer for these, uh, one of the producers for the animated movies, his movies kind of have like a a similar kind of look to it. They have a continuity within themselves too. You've also got the ones from like, um, was it Bruce Timm, Paul Dini? Correct. They have sort of the continuation of the Batman, the animated series style and look and characters and voice actors who we all know and love. And then you've got, you know, you've got that little bit of Elseworlds stuff. You've got ratings that are all over the place. They're usually PG 13, sometimes very rarely are, but The content kind of goes all over the place. And then you've even got stuff like um, the classic kind of Adam West. uh, I think they made two of those with the classic kind of Adam West kind of Batman. So they've definitely got a wide range of things for all kind of tastes. And not everybody's going to like everything that comes out. Right. But to your point, it's tough to not only adapt each and every one of those stories, but to find the right tone and to find the right amount of content to cram into it. Right, and when you're talking about a year-long, eleven-issue storyline for Hush, and you're trying to cram it into a ninety-minute movie, you're gonna have to make some difficult choices. You're
0: gonna difficult have to make choices. some art. You're gonna have to make some possibly artistic choices. Yes,
1: very artistic choice. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> so here's how we're gonna break this down tonight. We're going to kind of break it down: good, bad, and ugly. And for ugly, I'm changing that to LOL because I I don't like to uh kind of punch down especially for people in the animation because everybody works very, very hard and it's a very difficult and sometimes unforgiving and and thankless job uh, for what these people have to do. But I'll be honest, there are some things that make me literally laugh out loud when I watch this stuff and sometimes (laughs) it's intentional and sometimes it's not. So we're going to talk about what we liked from the movie. We're going to talk about the stuff that didn't work quite so well in the uh, middle section there. And we're going to end it with some of the stuff that was either laughable for good reasons or not so good reasons to end on a, (laughs) on a, on a funny note, if nothing else. So what (laughs) buddy, what worked for you in this movie? Just from like a high level.
0: I'll actually say a lot of it was the voice cast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll say that a lot of this was really the, the voice cast. I I think uh, this kind of marks a departure Uh, we've had for a long time. We've had Kevin Conroy and we as Batman and we've had Mark Hamill as the Joker, right? And so now we have Jason O'Mara, who is the Batman. He's doing a great job. You know, I'm liking it. He sounds uh, very gruff, uh, definitely needs uh, like a cough drop or a lozenge at <laughs> some <laughs> point. I, yeah, yeah. I think O'Mara is doing a great job with this, and I'm really enjoying it. I will say, though, uh, Jennifer Morrison's Catwoman is phenomenal. I could hear her continue to do the, the Catwoman sort of between very serious lines and then kind of the, the sultry sexiness of Catwoman that she honestly deserves and that yeah. they portray very, very well in this. It, it's This is a graphic novel, and, and and I hate to keep going back to the graphic novel portion of this, but uh, so I'll, I'll stick to the DCAU version of it. Okay. In this, they really, you know, they they show a lot of, intrigue sort of between this relationship. You see that this has kind of been a, a, a cat. I don't want to say mouse. This has been a cat and a bat game <laughs> back and forth between this relationship that Bruce and Selena have had for, right. for a very long time. And so this is finally having Bruce Wayne as Batman say to himself, I've gotten to this point where I, I've been fighting for so long. I'm alone. Right. And he makes that kind of, he re- has that self-realization and goes for it. And I mean, good for him, you know, he's kind of been following his fists for for forever. And so finally he has an opportunity to kind of follow his heart for a moment. And he gets a little bit of blowback from from a couple of the characters that they have uh, that are in there. I mean, we have Sean Mayer, who yep. is voicing Nightwing, who again, great supporting character, great supporting cast that you have for this. Uh, I really liked a majority of what we had in terms of sort of that particular, storyline of just the which is kind of the B arc that they have of this relationship and the discovery of really kind of who each person is between Catwoman and Batman and how do they if they're going to be in each other's lives as they say you need to be in each other's lives which is a
1: great continuation it is an interesting uh, arc to follow and it was one of my kind of favorite parts of this particular story so yeah, you can look at it on one hand, like the action beats and stuff that you follow are going to be Batman trying to figure out what's going on with all the villains in Gotham while they're kind of acting out of their normal uh, tropes that they, they are known for doing. So everybody's acting a little off. So everything they're doing is just like a little bit off, and he's kind of like not real sure what's going on with that yet. You you come to find, this is probably a good time to say that there will be spoilers probably for holes. Batman Hush, oh, both the oh, <laughs> both the comics oh, and the movie. Cause Gang, it's, been out, it's
0: been out now for what? Like 17 years oh, as a comic years, book. Yeah.
1: Now granted the movie, by the time you guys are hearing it, it is available on digital. You guys can check it out on digital as we did. And it will be out on Blu-ray, I believe on uh, August 6th. So you can check right. that out as well, but there are going to be some spoilers. So if you thought we were going to do a spoiler free review somehow, nah, you can Mm-mm. check out because <laughs> we got to talk about some stuff that's actually going on. <laughs> um, what, what I will say though, if you are going to peace out because of spoilers, even if you are familiar with the Batman Hush comics, there is enough new material and twists, in my personal opinion, in this movie adaptation to kind of keep you guessing, to show you something new. And it's not just a page-for-page translation, for better or worse. Some people are going to like that they changed some stuff and they took some uh, they took some twists and turns with the material, and some people are not going to like that they didn't stay 100% faithful to what's on the page. So, now that that's out of the way, uh, I'll go back to what we were talking about a second ago, which is the relationship between uh, Batman and Catwoman. I agree with you. Honestly, I thought it was a strength of this uh, entire movie. It was kind of the core emotional story that you follow throughout. It didn't get distracted from that too much with any kind of side story stuff. There wasn't a lot of uh, dalliances off on the side. There wasn't a lot of... There really wasn't any kind of minor plots that threaded their way through because they had enough focusing on their relationship and then their struggles against uh, the villainous hush so they had plenty going on with those two things they didn't need to thread in a bunch of like b and c plots beyond that however you mentioned the voice acting is a strength i'm gonna save that for a later discussion because i oh, had some okay. issues i really okay. like i like this new cast uh i particularly like uh jason omara i think he's good i think he's a, he gets a little wooden at times though when they batman doesn't really get a whole lot of emotional range <laughs> to be fair so yeah. he doesn't have to do much but there are scenes and there are moments throughout this movie where it calls for a little bit more flexibility for some of these characters. And a lot of the lines are always kind of delivered the same way. So to me, that's a, that's a flaw in like the the voice direction. Um, so that was a little stilted for me. We can talk about that more in the other section. I really did enjoy, um, Alfred James Garrett, who plays Alfred in this one. I thought he was amazing. He sounds like the late, uh, John Hurt. And I mean that in the best possible way. Um, he was he didn't have much to work with but the lines that he delivered I thought were amazing. It's just yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And we have so many characters in this one too that like that's good and bad, right?
0: And that's an, that's another I think strength for this is that, yeah. you know, there there are occasions when you you want to understand what the scale right. of the story actually is and for for something like Hush You know, we it's it's almost like a year long conspiracy for Batman to try to decipher and figure out, and so I think that sort of some of the time gets consolidated and compressed because it's in movie form, you know. But in the actual graphic novel itself, like this is this is a long running, all encompassing Gotham conspiracy where he's trying to figure out who is orchestrating and pulling all these strings uh, behind the scenes, and so that that's great because you know you have again. A lot of misdirection from some of these characters. And I I love the fact that for DCAU, they're able to bring in a bunch of these characters. We had Lex
1: Luthor that's in this. And it's a continuation from the last movie too because he basically straight up mentions, hey, I saved you all from Cyborg Superman because they're chronicling back to the two-part DC animated Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman, which was the first time that that was adapted for the big screen, which made me super happy. Uh, And they did a good job with that. So I like yeah. that this continues in that kind of connected universe, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, I love seeing that continuity between these movies. Yep. the You know, the fact that, you know, in the comic, Lex Luthor is actually the president of the United States at this point. Right. Uh, and so, in this point, you kind of see him back at LexCorp. He's a provisional member, uh, which they are very strict about him being a provisional member. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, the, we will call you, do not call us. You know, we have the, we have Damian Wayne, who's yeah. been in a couple of the the animated movies that we've had so far. And so it's great to see him. We also have, it was very confusing because he referred to him as Titus. Well, who was that? That's a bat dog. The bat dog. Oh, really? They, they didn't was. call him Ace? They called him no, Titus? No, they didn't call him Ace. They called him Titus. That's so, interesting.
1: I missed that. Yeah. Okay. That was probably established in an earlier, yeah.
0: There's a couple different bat dogs that yeah. they've had over the year. And so this one just happens to be Titus. Wait, you're so. telling
1: me that like hounds, Ace the Bat Hound doesn't live for like 80 years? Dude, I wish. I don't understand. It'd be be amazing.
0: We have Batgirl, which I'm very kind of curious because maybe this would go into sort of the negative, but we had the killing joke where Barbara Gordon as Batwoman had been shot and is paralyzed and is Oracle. Yep. If you're familiar with the material in the graphic novel, Oracle is a critical member of the Batman team to provide information. And so very weird and kind of curious to sort of see uh, Batgirl subbed in. For in the graphic novel, it was Huntress.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that that was one point I wanted to mention, that here's where they... Two, two major things that you mentioned so far. One, the time compression. Again, remember that the comics, this was a year-long event. So think about every issue that comes out, you get 11 issues. Each one, maybe they're dealing with a different villain, right? And that's fine. That's pretty standard stuff. So like in one issue, he's Batman's rescuing a kid that was kidnapped by Killer Croc, and he's got to fight him off. Cool. The next issue... It continues that story, but now he's chasing Catwoman uh, over the rooftops because she stole something. Cool. Right. But you're reading these and there's something in the back of your mind that like, wait, something is connected here, but I don't quite know what it is. I can't figure it out yet. Well, that's what's happening to Batman too, as he's going through, except when you watch Batman Hush, that entire year is compressed down into 90 minutes. And you do feel that. We'll get to that in a second, but you do feel that. The other thing is the characters that they chose to exclude, like Killer Croc. And the ones that they chose to include, like Batgirl, but not Oracle. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe maybe they didn't want to introduce Huntress, or maybe she's going to pop up in something else, or who knows. But they brought Batgirl in for 30 seconds, and then she was gone. They brought yeah. Lady Shiva in for 30 seconds, and then she was gone. Well, in in their defense, Lady Shiva
0: actually does make an appearance in the graphic novel for this one.
1: And that's fine. But And that's fine. The, all she does here is to set up a point of like exposition. <laughs> Yeah. she she drops something that's like here's a clue okay <laughs> bye you enjoy the rest of your night batman
0: which is so funny because as you were saying for the the serialization of the comic book itself yeah. there is a whole there's a whole issue that deals with batman kind of confronting Ra's al Ghul yeah. and and fighting him but at the same time catwoman is holding Talia al Ghul yeah. captive and so Lady Shiva shows up and fights catwoman and so uh, it's very interesting kind of how they decide to unnecessarily exclude and include
1: some of these characters. I think we're veering into quote-unquote bad territory, so let's hold that string. Uh, do you have any uh, anything else that stands out as far as being like really enjoyable or really fun before we move into some of the stuff that didn't work quite so well? I've got a couple things, but
0: I, I'll just my my final point for the good is that I love DCAU and yeah. I think you you mentioned it perfectly that it is it has been so much better than the actual cinematic universe. And anytime any of these come out, it's always a joy. I always love watching them. It's very challenging because I have a lot of things to talk about in the bad. <laughs> so with that, Dave, what else do you have that's good?
1: Fair enough. I got a couple of things that I really liked. One was the character design. So a lot of the characters we've seen similar versions of them before, but this is very much their own kind of like continuity. Batman gets a new bat suit for whatever reason it looks exactly like the old one, that's fine. But <sighs> we know. get, like, Catwoman has a cool look to her in this one, and that's pulled right from Jim Lee's designs. Uh, I really like the Scarecrow design in this one. It was pretty intense and kind of spooky and scary, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, there's a surprise... Clayface appearance. That's all I'll say about that for now. Trying to keep spoilers. Always limited. my favorite. I love Always Clayface. My, I love and the Clayface. way that they brought him into this, it's similar to the graphic <laughs> novel, but it was just kind of yeah. like, holy shit, the way, they, yeah. the way that they bring him in. Because I was like, what is happening right now? And then it's Clayface. That was really but, cool. That kind well, of almost made me stand spoiler, up. Go, spoiler it yeah, for me. A little Spoiler it for me. Eh, okay. We'll wrap it up in Clay. You won't even notice it. It'll be fine. Um, and then honestly, the way that they kind of ended this, this romantic relationship with Batman and Catwoman, because to be honest, it was not a happily ever after story. They they have a cool thing where they sort of have a they have this on again, off again relationship that they've had forever. Then in the middle of the movie, they have a very cool kind of montage where they're both side by side, back to back, trying to trying to fight crime, essentially, in their own particular way with their own particular code. But because those codes don't quite mesh at the very end of the movie, they kind of have to go their separate ways again. Um for reasons that I'll leave unspoiled, but that was an interesting—it was an interesting arc to watch, and I like that it didn't end on a happily ever afternoon. I think that's right. it for my good stuff. So let's get to the stuff that didn't quite work for you.
0: Okay. Oh man, I have—I got a lot to say, so I okay. apologize in advance.
1: Oh, good. Just leave time for the LOLs. Leave time for the LOLs.
0: Yeah, I promise to leave time for the LOLs. <laughs> Dave, I almost want to start with yeah. uh, like a rhetorical question about okay. what makes a good Batman comic or movie. Could it potentially be hearing the Cape Crusaders' internal monologue so that you can hear those gears turning of the world's greatest detective? Yeah. that w- I mean, I'd be interested in that. I'm still waiting
1: to kind of see that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't... There's been very few that have actually accurately portrayed that.
1: Of all the people, I thought it would be Nolan. I thought he would give us the most, like, cerebral one, and I was kind of disappointed that he didn't really, so... Yeah.
0: Uh, could, could the reveal of his identity... To even a villain like Catwoman, could that be intriguing? Could that make a good
1: comic or movie? Absolutely, yeah. that's made that some could, of the best. That could make a good one. Batman animated series episode. I like that. I keep answering sure. your rhetorical questions.
0: That's okay. <laughs> uh, could could it potentially be Batman pushed to the limit over a long period of time? Absolutely. We've that's had great. we've had tons and tons of comics that have been about that. I'm sure everybody's probably familiar with Bane in the Nolan trilogy, yep. based off of the Nightfall. Uh, you know arc that they had the whole idea behind that is that Bane pushes and cajoles all these other villains to relentlessly attack Gotham and Batman over the course of 12 months and so yep. then finally by the end of it Batman's broken Bane just swoops in and breaks his spine and like that's that was a crazy story that was unbelievable
1: and even and even to your point there Joker pushing him to the point that he breaks his own code and they, they've handled that in movies pretty well and they've handled that in the uh, animated realm as well well now you bring me to the point yeah
0: Batman considering to break his no-kill code. All of these four things really put together, for me, is what makes an unbelievably, undeniably intriguing Batman comic or animated movie. Agreed. And it was obviously something that the DCAU could have taken a lot of the material that they had from the source and they could have used it. Did they, though? No, they didn't. And that's kind of what I thought was the bad for me. What made Hush such a good comic book is that they introduce this character Hush as a real threat to Bruce Wayne and Batman. They crack his skull, uh, you know, after chasing Catwoman, which it's worth noting that the alley that he falls into when he's chasing, are you familiar with it?
1: I'm assuming it was Crime Alley, but I'm not sure if it was the same one. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it was Crime Alley, you know. so And you kind of miss that in the animated portion of it, you know. The conspiracy feels as big as Nightfall, in the graphic novel, but right. in the AU, it feels very procedural. I didn't feel like there were a ton of stakes for Batman. If this was a video game, it almost felt like it was a shooter on rails. Like Batman went to a place, he did a thing, got a clue. Went to a place, did a thing, got a clue. And it was just that over and over again.
1: And and it was literally the butler who did it at the end, which I'm really pissed about Alfred, but I mean, <laughs> it was right there.
0: Yeah, the procedural, the he had to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's
1: interesting when you have this idea where
0: you don't really create any stakes or motivation for a character because yeah. you introduce Thomas Tommy Elliot into the animated version and you never really figure out why he's there. And he's used as a misdirection for the audience. He has a similar build as right. the hush uh, character that you see. He's, he's got a evil new char- eyebrows. Yeah, he's got evil <laughs> eyebrows. He kind of has like a little bit of a douchey smirk every once in yeah. a while. And he's a redhead, so you can't trust yeah. him saddle down so you know and he's first and foremost i mean he's a new character so right. when you introduce a new character like this you just assume that who's being brought in
1: we just came off of scooby-doo the literal last episode that we did was pup named scooby-doo with a character actually named red herring and this mystery could have been solved by those kids <laughs> like they could have solved this mystery i think but anyway
0: but it's frustrating because in in the in hush in the animated version of hush, yeah. We have Tommy, we have him at a party saving Bruce after his fall yeah. and then he dies at the opera yeah and that's it. And you don't really understand you don't really kind of understand what the the relationship is or really what the relationship is that they have between Bruce and Tommy that's you true. find out that you find out that the reason that he saves Bruce is that he wanted to become you know a great surgeon like Bruce Wayne's father. Why? Did he want to become a great surgeon?
1: I, I will say I'm a little torn on which version I like better—the the Thomas Elliot from the graphic novel. Who, to be honest, his kind of like story, his his upbringing, his childhood, his uh, sort of breaking into villainy—that that's always kind of been like Ugh, for me. I kind of like this version of the dude better. And then the fact that they did kind of a misdirection with it—I was. To me, it's like they know people know this story from the comics. So at the moment that he's killed at the the theater or the moment that, you know, you see him kind of like in the alley calling back to Batman's parents, obviously Bruce Wayne's parents. That to me was a signal that like this isn't the story that you think it is. This isn't the story that you think, you know, Something's going to be different. And then something at the very end, I don't want to spoil it because it was kind of a cool and kind of a woe scene for me. There's a very psychological thing that happens with uh, Elliot that I was kind of like that's a little effed up like that's kind of that's kind of messed up I'm surprised they kind of went there. Um, So he does show up in different ways towards the end But yeah, I'm I'm on the fence about which version I like better. I think they have strengths and weaknesses I will say to your point though the pacing of everything was off for me,
0: right? Yeah I just think that a lot of that a lot of the the psychological understanding of Tommy and Bruce as children right. is something that we don't really get a chance or an opportunity in a lot of Batman comics to see Bruce Wayne before his parents died. Right. That's sort of the 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 catalyst for for everything that we see in comics, you know, in, in any other media as well. And so being able to see the fact that, you know, they grew up together, that Bruce's dad had saved Tommy's mother, right. but wasn't able to save his father. And Tommy has this entire conceit where he tells him that he's going to beat him in this toy game because you need to think like your enemy. And so there's all these wonderful moments that you don't get in the actual AU version
1: of it that's frustrating. I I think they did it this way because of how it ended up. So they didn't put as much focus on the emotional side of it because they knew they weren't going to have that payoff at the end. I'm not saying it's a good call. It's kind of a cop out because it would have made Bruce's reaction to the loss of Elliot and Batman, obviously it's related, Batman's reaction to that, that would have made that more powerful if you knew that they were childhood friends and had that connection. So I agree with you there. Uh, I don't mind so much the the direction they took with the final kind of reveal. Uh, but again, to me, the, the pacing was the main thing. Uh, one of the things that didn't really work for me, like the action scenes I thought were really well done. I thought they were very well animated. The fight yes. scenes I thought were great. But then you have that those same characters When they have to stand next to each other and like talk to each other, they're super awkward. I don't know what was up with the rigs, but they just kind of like they it was like they could only fight. They couldn't stand there and like (laughs) shake hands or like just read a newspaper. They like there was like they put the fight team on the newspaper sequence, and it was just like it wasn't working. (laughs) So there's something really off about the pacing of casual conversation, and it just feels stilted. And I think that's where a lot of the problems I had with the voice acting came in. Because when you have the same delivery when you're throwing a punch or getting hit by like a two by four or a, a you know a bladed cane or whatever, when you have the same delivery from that as you do as like a cup of coffee or like going to bed together or something like that, you have the same tone and the same inflection. ah eh, that was a little off that felt a little yeah. flat to me so that that took you out of the experience a little bit i think
0: i I'll say another another thing that was sort of in the the con for me. Was we have this really we we talked a little bit about the code that Batman has, about the no-kill yeah. code. Yeah. So there's a moment in the opera house where Harlequin decides to to rob the joint. Right. They they follow her outside. Batman sees what he's been led to believe right. is the Joker killing Tommy. Right. And in this moment, in this psychological trauma about his friend and about trying to be a better friend and be involved in more of his life and and holding on to things from his childhood, he nearly beats the Joker to death. Yeah. And in fact, in the actual comic book, Jim Gordon shoots him twice.
1: Yeah, he doesn't just fire like a warning shot. He actually shoots him. Yeah.
0: He grazes his arm and then he knocks off like one of the, like one of the bad ears. Yeah. Like on the cowl and looks at him and just goes, My God, you like you were gonna do it. You you've thought about this. And and he gets really close. Like it's It's an emotionally brutal scene. And and the artwork that Lee puts into this is phenomenal. This didn't even come close to
1: having that type of an emotional punch. I I still thought it was good. And it it helps, I think, to know where this is coming from, too. So in the comics, you also see Jason Todd in the comics. You also see Jason Todd in the Hush storyline. Now, if you're not familiar with it, the last time Jason Todd had appeared in the comics was in the Death in the Family storyline right. where all the D- the fun DC fans out there got to decide whether or not uh, he lived or died because he was Robin at the time. Ooh, spoiler alert, he didn't. Fans hated him, so they <laughs> killed him off. And they killed him off in a super brutal fashion. And I believe yeah. it was at the hands of the Joker, isn't that right?
0: Yeah, it was Joker
1: with a crowbar. Yeah, Joker with a Beat crowbar. Him to death. Yeah. So, I mean, put yourself in that kind of like mindset as far as like if you were Batman at this point, the last... Maybe the last time you saw Joker, or at least the last, like, serious time you saw Joker was right after he beat your ward kind of to death with a crowbar. Right. And now you see him kill, like, your best, like, childhood friend. Like, at that point, I don't blame him for snapping. And that's kind of what you said. Like, the best things, uh, the best story points with Batman, one of them is pushing him to his limit to break his code and do things that he wouldn't normally do and really push him from that line of vigilante into outright villain. Right, It wasn't as strong in the animated movie Because you didn't have that baggage From the comics that really Helped to uh, lend that Drama to the scene I still think they did An okay job with it there was a funny little Line from Joker when when he was like He was kind of like out of it and he didn't Know what was going on and he was still like laughing Even though he was beaten silly and he's like so anyway Who's Robin now and I was like That's kind of funny because A there's like 10 of them and B Coming right (laughs) after that was Kind of messed up yeah. that's a good line, yeah,
0: but I, I think that that baggage, that emotional baggage and weight that you talk about it, is so important. and i I felt that they really just kind of skipped over, yes, all of that, not just like selective parts. They skipped over
1: all of all that of it in hush, the animated and, version, and which is tough. that's the pacing problem. they They condense this. It honestly should have been at least two movies. I, I don't know how you split it. I don't know how you do it. Maybe the first movie is just. Batman and Catwoman having their growing romance and then them kind of having their villain of the week and then the reveal that like Hush is behind this stuff and then the second part is figuring out who Hush is. I don't know, go
0: ahead. I, I almost want to say they probably could have added 10 minutes of material and I would have been, to fill in some of that backstory and baggage okay. and I would have been over the moon happy with what they did. But because it didn't have it there, it was, it was pretty frustrating. I, I think, and, and this is just a quick point, and, and and it's the difference between two mediums. We have obviously, you know, a graphic novel and comics versus an animated movie that we would see. I just think not knowing Hush's voice mm. is incredibly powerful when we hear it in the movie. There's these moments where even you have Hush just going Hush, Batman, Hush, and they overuse the word in this. To a point where it doesn't mean anything anymore to me like it became frustrating and in the graphic novel because of this larger conspiracy It has weight and they remove and strip that word of all the weight And so it just that that was a challenge for me
1: and it doesn't just have weight as the conspiracy There's actually an emotional tie-in to that too with the relationship between Batman and Catwoman because at the end of the graphic novel after the second last page the second last page it's like one of the it's, last it's things they say and i don't want to spoil it because i think you guys should go and read it honestly go and read this pick it up on comixology find the omnibus or whatever the collections and, and check it out because that word is very important important it's very important at the end because it triggers something else right it's a very important word um my only other thing i think they needed to work on like i said the pacing also some of the edits they made some really weird editing choices. At one yeah. point, we see Batman meeting uh, Clark Kent, Superman. A apparently, this is the first time they've met out of costume, which I don't believe is actually the yeah. case, but maybe it is. I, I don't know. Whatever. It's kind of
0: bullshit with that.
1: It was weird, but also the the funniest thing was that very next scene, you see Superman in the thrall of Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy has somehow kissed him at some point during that like two hours at the end of the workday the daily planet and like just is like oh you're superman but you're under my spell like what that was a big lol for me yeah it came out of nowhere that (laughs) was it. that was it was lol but then at the same time like what are you doing like the editing and then there were a couple times where batman would teleport to the other side of the scene so like if (laughs) if, uh if he was fighting a villain on the left side and then catwoman showed up on the right side the very next scene he was right next to her and i was like what are you (laughs) what are you guys doing of yeah. all the things Batman can do, I'm pretty sure he can't teleport. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. what uh, what are you, some of your LOLs? Uh, and good or bad? These could be good or bad, like lines that worked for you and and things that really didn't.
0: I think the LOL for me was you know we we have Damian Wayne and he's sort of on the the Batmobile, comm talking to his dad yeah. about his about his dad's dating life, right? You know, and he's like, hey, you know, you should really kind of watch out with dating villains because. You have dated my mom, and I'm just like, oh, my God, dude. Like I, he, you are... he also said
1: that he should use protection, I think. I yep. think he suggested using protection. <laughs> yeah. I will say sometimes the uh, DC Universe animated movies, they can get real pervy. I mean, they, they get to a point where it still seems like the guys who are behind the scenes are like 12-year-old boys and just like throw, throw boobs and butts in everywhere and then make a bunch of fart jokes, and that's your Batman movie. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. This movie, I thought it was, I thought they walked that line very well. I thought they kept things adult and kind of like, not erotic, but kind of like the sexual Mm, adult nature for, yeah, let's talk more about that. Batman hush after dark. Uh, The romantic relationship between Batman and Catwoman was handled well. It wasn't overly sexualized. It was mature. It was adult. It wasn't pervy. It wasn't done for laughs. It wasn't done for fan service or gratification. It was well done. So even stuff like, you know, Damian Wayne being kind of like having that adult language as a little kid. That was funny. I thought that was fine Um, Stuff that made me laugh though like Alfred most of Alfred's lines if they were like like really dry and witty made me laugh But the one that I don't think was supposed to be funny was when he calls up uh, Early in the in the beginning of the movie. and He's like sorry to interrupt master Bruce But I'm receiving reports that Bane has abducted a child. I was (laughs) cackling That was the funniest thing I'd heard the entire movie. It was only ten minutes in.
0: Yeah, I actually the Bane idea just in general yeah. really made me laugh. The Bane costume for everybody else who was kind of revamped and looked a little bit sleeker. It looked like Bane was still stuck in the Bruce Timm era yeah. of Batman with and his little the,
1: uh, onesie.
0: Yeah, with his little one, with his little <laughs> onesie, his, his weird luchador mask that had you know the the line running from the back of his head down to his hand. And I'm like, yep. how does everybody not know how to defeat him at this point? He did get
1: taken out pretty quickly to
0: be oh, fair. he was yeah. taken out immediately. And that to me was laughable. I'm like, Oh, you mean, you mean the guy that broke his back and now suddenly you just take him out with a batarang when you cut the line to his venom. He
1: did electrocute him though too, which was pretty Yeah. Uh, I mean, another thing that made me laugh was when this was where Batman uh, saved the kid, which is kind of a nod back to the beginning of the graphic novel, even though it was different. Uh, I love when he rescues the kid and the kid walks up to Bane and kicks him and just calls him an asshole And then leaves like that, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. That was great. That was great. Was that that was was great. Yeah um, uh, Another Alfred line this okay. was after this was after Batman uh, was Grappling hook whatever but um, swinging through the streets like spider-man and he had the line cut and he cracked his skull uh, on the pavement so Alfred says to him while he's like after surgery, he says, "I'd prefer not to battle for the world's greatest vegetable, sir." And I was like, "Damn, Alfred, <laughs> calm down, man!" Like that was that was pretty funny. I like that. Those are great lines. Another thing that made me laugh out loud: Why would Poison Ivy keep coming back to the same greenhouse that both villains and heroes alike have busted her like four times in the movie already? She <sighs> keeps mean. going back to the same hideout. What it do you makes think's gonna no happen? No sense. It no. makes
0: no sense. It's just so slightly frustrating. They
1: designed a different greenhouse. <laughs> I don't know. This also,
0: how many fucking greenhouses are in Gotham? That that's she has just like, the one. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: it's crazy. One thing that drove me crazy, but it was it made me laugh at an inopportune time. They use the same animation shot for shot of Batman and uh, Catwoman kissing. I think they just flip it or change flip the background. It. Yeah, that's it. They do it twice and it's the exact same <laughs> sequence, the exact same timing, the same hands on the back or whatever. And it's like it uh, stuff like yeah. that audiences are smart today guys like they're yeah. gonna see that stuff i get that you have to like cut corners sometimes and like save those uh dc dollars but like this one could have used a bit more a bit more cash i think anything else yeah um i like that selena's cat was named ertha that was cute that was cute a little ertha kit throwback yeah um the harvey the, the harvey the harley quinn stuff didn't really work for me the quick little like montage of Fighting the villains was okay, but it didn't really add anything except showing that Batman and Catwoman were at their next level, of the relationship, but yeah. Anything else, LOLs? <laughs> no, no. All right, what are your final thoughts? Do you recommend this one or not? Or how do, how do you want to do recommendations now, actually?
0: I, I'm, fine with, I'm fine with the recommendation and justification, as well as also if I don't recommend it, you know, and we can also dip stuff. Why should we sway or, you know, move away from, a, from an award-winning formula?
1: So why don't you explain how the dip works to our new listeners on Collider Factory? Sure, absolutely.
0: So if we recommend a show, we will give you our reason why. If we don't recommend something, we'll do the same thing. We'll tell you why we think that you shouldn't watch it. We can go one step further if we don't recommend something, and we can dunk it into the dip, which is the same dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it erases that cartoon from the
1: annals of cartoon history, and we just won't talk about it on the show anymore. It just never existed. Never existed. Uh, so do you recommend Batman Hush or do you not? And if you don't, do you give it the dip?
0: I, I'm i not going to recommend this. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I am not going to recommend this, and but I'm not going to give it the dip. Okay. Uh, I will say, if you are a purist for Batman, this is going to frustrate you. Mm. It feels like it's missing the soul of the story that Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee created. There are certain scenes that were really faithful, but it was, as again. Again, as I had mentioned, it's unnecessarily selective. The Metropolis scene, pretty spot on. Yeah. The iconic Joker scene, completely lacked the emotional gravity. Ultimately, this came down to, I don't know why this was titled Hush. This would have better served as another DCAU movie with a completely new title. They built an expectation by calling it Batman Hush that we would see the Bat driven to the point where he was gonna potentially break his own code, and instead, all they did was reintroduce a rebranded Riddler.
1: That's eloquently put, honestly, like I, every once in a while when Sean and I talk about these cartoons, one or the other of us will kind of paint whatever we're talking about in a new light. I do see a lot of the flaws in Batman Hush, and even more so now after talking to Sean for the last hour. I still enjoyed the movie, probably because I didn't have that same uh, kind of formative experience with the comics or with the graphic novel. Again, I kind of came to these. I, I heard the story from other people. So I didn't have that that same kind of emotional attachment to it. I kind of heard them as like facts or bullet points. So it was kind of just like trivia to me. Like I was like, All okay, right. cool. Now I know who Hush is and how that story worked. And oh, that was interesting. <laughs> but it wasn't just like, oh my God. You know, I didn't have that gut emotional reaction. So for me, this is kind of the first time of like experiencing the story of Hush overall. And honestly, to Sean's point, this is like Batman Hush Lite. It's kind of a cursory it's introduction It's Diet to Hush. It. It's Diet Hush. If you want Diet Hush, you can go check it out. I'm still going to recommend it because I hope, like me, it inspires people to go out and check the original source material. Uh, I still think that the DC and Warner Brothers Animation folks do a phenomenal job of bringing these things to life. I just wish this one was better. Um, yes. It's good enough for me to recommend that you go check it out. But it was a lot closer than I thought it would be coming into tonight. I, I will say that the, the ending for, the,
0: for Batman Hush, the DCAU, it felt very abrupt. Yeah. It felt very, very abrupt. And to compare and contrast that with what we had mentioned, where the end of the graphic novel kind of concludes with the word hush, the graphic novel leaves the reader asking the question, did Batman actually solve this crime? And that what is what makes this such a phenomenal graphic novel is that you are guessing
1: until the very end and you don't get that with DCAU. Fair enough. I'm really hoping that people go and check it out either way and they can let us know. We would love to hear your guys' thoughts. We'd love to hear if you're a super fan out there and you loved or did not like this movie very much. We'd love to know if you agree more with Sean, with me, what your own opinion is. So Sean, how can the listeners out there get a hold of us and contact us out there in social media land? If anybody wants to find us on social
0: media, you can slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's morning with a U. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old fashioned email. We love those and we read them. Saturday Morning Cartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links that I've mentioned on our link tree, which is in the bio for all of our social media sites. And as always, you can always find Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. On YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey Dave, what do you got going on?
1: As always, you can find me on Collider.com, and if you head on over to Twitter, you can find me at Dr. Claw MD. Eh, that's about it for me, but I did want to say thank you once again to Bobby Anthem. Uh, he gave us the synopsis for tonight's show, and he's been a fan of the show and uh, a friend to us for a very long time. So I just want to say a shout out for him again. Where can the folks out there find Bobby if they're interested in finding out more about what he's up to? You can check out his paranormal
0: podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And Bobby also has a solo show, which is called In Search of My Lost Soul, which is available along with the Inhuman Experience podcast on the Get in the Corner Mixler channel. We'll have all these links in our notes. Check out Bobby. Send him some love. He's simply the best.
1: Highly recommended. Would not give him the dip. Sean, what else are you up to but and where can the folks out there find you before we head out for the night?
0: Oh, man, as always, I perform live improv comedy in D.C. with a group that is called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find tickets and times with DC.org. dot
1: org. And I'm always on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Awesome. Nicely done. Thank you guys so much for joining us for Batman Hush. Thank you so much for the folks at Collider Factory uh, for joining and listening and following along today. Please uh, feel free to share this with all your friends out there and we will see you again next time. Have a happy Saturday. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.